Um, I do a radio show on Tuesday night, uh, Central Standard Time, so same time zone as you are in. At 8 o'clock, it goes from about 8 o'clock to about 10 o'clock. It's on the Internet, on the Abiding Presence uh, website, or you can just go to jimhockaday.com and uh, tune in to the radio show. I'm sharing that because uh, I have a co-host. His name is B.J. Rickard. He happens to be a rancher, a cowboy, a real cowboy. In fact, if you know your, uh, your Wild West history, he looks just like Wild Bill Hickok. Long hair down to about here, handlebar mustache, big old goatee like that. I mean, just, just like him, spitting image. Um, four years ago, I prayed a really good prayer, which would say what? It's possible that we pray prayers that aren't necessarily prayers at all. And that's a lot of the reasons why things don't get answered. But anyhow, I prayed a really good prayer. And this prayer had to do with, Lord, I'm seeing all kinds of healings taking place in our meetings, but my own prayers are few and far between. In other words, are not consistent. So I want to be consistent in my own personal life just as much as I see people being healed in the ministry. So another way to say that is, I'm tired of being a hypocrite. Well, that's a really good prayer. The reason why it's a good prayer is because there's a lot of humility in that. You have to humble yourself in order to pray that. And what does God give to the humble? Grace. God gives grace to the humble, but he does what? He resists the proud. So if you want to advance, you have to be willing to be wrong. That's not necessarily a statement where people are going to jump up and say, praise the Lord, amen to that. I realize, but I'll go a little further. If you're ever going to really have something, you have to be willing to let it go. And if you really want to learn how to live, you have to be willing to die. Compromise is a really bad thing. Jesus talked over there in Revelation about, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. Lukewarm's really bad. Lukewarm says, I know enough to talk the game, but I don't actually connect with the power to live the game. In other words, is it possible we've learned how to preach Christ, we just don't know how to live Christ? Is it possible we have a relationship with the book, but we don't know the guy that wrote it? See, these are all really good statements. And they're the kind of things that the Lord began to show me. Now, I'll share this just for a couple seconds, and I'll get into some thoughts here. So my prayer was answered within just a few weeks. I started a meeting, actually a series of meetings, every Monday night for nine weeks there in Tulsa. I taught for about two and a half hours on doing the works of Jesus. Actually, there's a series out there called um, Until I Come. That's all about releasing the anointing, ministering to people. Something we're, we're going to do at 2 o'clock. And um, this cowboy came to my meetings. And the associate pastor was a wannabe. Well, what do you mean? Well, he had a buckle and he had boots on, but he wasn't a real cowboy. <laughs> BJ's kind of schooled me about wannabes, you know. They got trucks jacked up, you know, about four feet high, you know, where, where you can't get a bale of hay in. He said that's not necessarily a real cowboy because why would a cowboy want to throw an extra two feet high a bale of hay? Their trucks look really perfect, and a, and a real cowboy's truck's going to be all beat up and, you know, has been on the farm. And they live in apartments instead of living on a ranch. So I, I ran into a real, a real one, okay? 
And uh, he came up after the service, shook my hand and said, I really liked that a lot. I liked it. That was good. Now, I knew he wasn't even saved. So I asked him, I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? Uh, why have you come? To that he responded, well, I want to heal horses the way you heal people. And I said, awesome. I said, come on, you'll learn that right here. I mean, there's no difference releasing the anointing into a horse, the same as releasing the power of God into a person. A horse isn't going to push it away. Probably easier to get a horse healed than a person. <laughs> so then after, after I said that to him, I said, well, would you like to meet Jesus? He looked at me and kind of goes, no, just want to heal horses. I said, well, okay. I said, I'll see you next week. So next week, of course, I got there, and he's, he's uh, there early, you know, in a prime spot, taking notes on everything that I'm saying. After the service, he comes up again and says, man, I really enjoyed that real soft-spoken voice. I said, well, that's awesome, BJ. It's good to see you again. I said, but let me just kind of say this. I said, uh, I'm just the messenger. If you're really enjoying this, I said, then you need to meet the guy that's responsible for this. So this time I didn't ask him. I said, give me your hand. So he took hold of my hand. I said, now repeat these words, mean them from your heart. And I said, you'll begin a new life with Christ. Small little prayer he repeated. After he repeated that prayer, I said, now, uh, as far as God's concerned, if you meant that in your heart, I said, there's a change inside your life, inside your heart. This is your start. And then on purpose, just to mess with him a little bit, you know, I said, from here on out, it's going to get spooky. And to that, he jumped back and said, what? What's going to get spooky? I said, no telling. It's just going to get spooky. <laughs> and then I walked away and said, I'll see you next week. So I kind of left him hanging, you know. Well, between that week and the next week, he laid hands on a, grabbed a hold of a big old horse with an eighth of an inch hole in its eye, blind, arthritis, bone spurs, cavities in the teeth. Grabbed a hold of that horse. He didn't know to say in the name of Jesus. See, we get so into our little, you know, uh, open sesame type of little statements here, but there's nothing in the actual prayer. So we're saying in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, trying to convince ourselves we actually believe. Because if you did, why would you need to say almost anything? Appreciate all that enthusiasm. <laughs> Anyhow, I'll go on a little bit. I realize I may not be making friends here this morning. That's okay. It's on your pastor. He invited me. <laughs> so anyhow, he just grabbed a hold of the horse and said, in the name of God, you're going to be just fine. Well, his cowboy friends, you know, uh, they cussed him out. You know, BJ knows French really well. Hey, man, if you told him to curse the devil, he'd, I don't think the devil ever come back, you know I mean? <laughs> so BJ just cussed them out, said, no, my horse is going to be just fine. Three days' time, the hole in the eye mended right up, filled right up into normal. The horse could see. Doctor, the vet checked the horse, no more bone spurs, no more arthritis, and even where there was cavities, it was overlaid with brand new enamel. Well, that gets out in the horse world. <laughs> and within a week's time, he had to take that horse down to Oklahoma State University about an hour and a half away and let the medical profession look at that horse. After a full day of looking at it, they said, there's, there's nothing that we can say that would describe the reason why this horse is the way that it is. It's beyond us. Now, this is how he started, see. Now, I didn't understand, 
And he told me later, I'm watching the time because I don't want to give you too many stories here, but we have tons of stories, the two of us together. But BJ's kind of an oddity. You wouldn't know by looking at him, but he's smarter than probably all of us put together in one room. Four earned PhD. He reads 5,000 words per minute with 97% retention. He's actually kind of miffed about the fact that he doesn't retain everything. I said, well, I take that 3%. That's why you don't get it. <laughs> Sad but true, you know. As a nine-year-old boy, he read the Bible in four hours, cover to cover. You've never seen anything like it. I mean, the first time he was at church, my wife is looking at him. He just does this, turns the page. She says, what's he doing to his Bible? I said, he's reading it. She said, no way. I said, yeah. Well, we were in Colossians. You know, a couple minutes later, we looked back, and she said, where do you think he is now? I said, probably Revelations. What do you think? <laughs> you never see anything like it. I mean, we handed out books for my course, 180 pages. Well, while I'm preaching that one sermon, he went ahead and just went through the whole thing, handed it back, said, well, I read it. I don't need it anymore. And he retains how much? 97%. Mm. So while he's listening to me, he's figuring this thing out like a mathematician. Because he's serious about what? Helping horses. There's some young folks here, so I'll tell you this next one. The following week, he comes in and says, you won't believe what happened. I said, well, go ahead. Uh, let, me, let me hear it. He said, well, I'm, I'm at the feed store, buying my own business, just buying some stuff for the ranch. He said, this woman walks in. She's just kind of all hooting and hollering, you know, and saying, I need a vet. I need a vet. Someone please help me. Come, please help me. Help me. He said, so I turned around and looked at her and said, ma'am, what do you need? She said, well, I slammed the door on my cat's head. She said, I don't think the cat's doing very well. She said, someone, I, I need help. I need a vet. He said, well, let me come out there and look at your cat. So he goes out there, looks at the cat. And he said, my God, that's the ugliest cat I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and it's laying there on its side, tongue hanging out of its mouth. I mean, she got all nine lives, one crack. It's deader than a doornail. He looks at her and says, ma'am, you don't need a vet. You need God. To which she responds, well, I'm a Christian and I prayed. To which BJ would respond, well, what does that, and that have to do with anything? You say, well, why would he be so mean? He's not being mean. He's being absolute. In other words, in his mind, dead cat doesn't equal Christian who prayed to God. Christian prays to God. Why is the cat still dead? The fact that we all think that that would be normal is the reason why we need to hear the kind of stuff that we're going to share this morning. And I'm putting myself right in the seat with you guys because that was my prayer. I'm seeing all kinds of stuff happening in services, and we'll see all kinds of wonderful things happen in, in the service today. There's no doubt about it. People be healed. But then in your own life, are you connected to God in a way personally, where it's not a matter of getting someone to pray for you or being in a pulpit where the power of God's flowing through you on a regular basis, where you can get your own prayers individually answered. Come on, tell me that getting your own prayer answered 
with God wouldn't be the coolest thing in the whole world and give you the kind of confidence to never have to be sick again, never have to be worried about finances again. Sure enough, not walking around like you, like you lost your best friend, happy and full of, full of the love of God. Come on. That's what everybody wants in Christianity. But that's not what you find at most places where you go to get your Christianity. You find people that are getting sicker and sicker and poorer and poorer and meaner and meaner. See, in my Baptist church, we, we, we didn't think we were supposed to be wealthy. We thought we were supposed to be poor. So we had that one figured out. We didn't think we were supposed to be healthy. We thought we were supposed to be sick to honor God with our sickness. So we had that one figured out. And once you get past those couple of obstacles, you're pretty much a happy person. In your Word of Faith, Charismatic Pentecostal churches that know they're supposed to be prosperous and they know they're supposed to be healthy and they're sick and they're fighting to make ends meet, they're mean. I'm just saying everything you've been thinking. Thank you for that vote of confidence over here. <laughs> that was you that laughed so hard. I know. I saw you. So he looks at her and says, well, that doesn't mean anything. She goes, what do you mean? He goes, you know exactly what I mean. And this is what he did. He, he walked over and he said, I'm not going to pray for your cat. That's the ugliest cat I've ever seen. He said, but I will pray for you. And he puts his hand on her shoulder. And this is what he prays. Two weeks being saved. Three weeks being in my course. Puts his hand on her shoulder and says, God, please, please, open her eyes just a little. So she, or open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little. And then you can be God. In other words, she's in your way. Help her to get out of the way which would be if she can see it just a little bit, then she can believe you and get out of the way. Then you can be God. When he prayed that, she immediately cried out and said, Oh, God, I do believe. Meow. Cat sat up. <laughs> she says, It's a miracle. He said, No, ma'am, that's not a miracle. Oh, yes, it is. My cat is alive. It's a miracle. He said, No, ma'am, that's not a miracle. She said, well, if it's not a miracle, what is? He said, the fact that you've been a Christian all these years and today you finally believe God, that's the miracle. Three days later, she called him up. She took her cat to the vet. The vet did a cat scan. <laughs> that's so bad, I know. I just had to wake everybody up. You're all so bad, I tell you what. You actually laughed at that. Shame on y'all. He scanned the cat, and the vet looked at her and said, I have no idea what it is that put this cat's head back together, but there's no doubt about it, you crushed his skull. So the vet, this is what the vet said. He goes, I'm going to scan the rest of this cat, because that vet had spayed that cat years earlier. He scans the rest of the cat, and big old tears start dripping off his face. She said, Doc, what's wrong? He said, all the female organs are back in this cat. He said, your cat can have kittens. 
She said, BJ, isn't it amazing? My cat can have kittens. He said, ma'am, calm down. I'm going to give you the money to get it spayed again. He said, we don't need any more ugly cats in Tulsa. That's my co-host. So as you come on over to John chapter 10, BJ has profoundly affected my life because there's no religion in him. And because he's smart enough to see past religion that spins in circles. You see, if you've been doing things the way you've been doing things, and everybody around you has been doing things the same way you've been doing things, why would you ever question, even if it wasn't working? Because you're in a group of people that it very rarely does work, but this is kind of the way we do life. Why would you ever question that there could be something more or that you could be wrong? Hmm? And see, that's what happens. We get in groups of people, groups where people come and they worship, and we feel safe in the group. Because in the group, there aren't too many results. In fact, there's a whole lot more failure that makes being a part of the group acceptable if you're not necessarily having success. And if we can give people enough hope to keep coming, they actually feel okay. See, people are not afraid of failure. They do it all the time. They're afraid of success. Because success would mean you'd have to change. Don't shut me down. That's a really good statement we just made. Let me share something with you you need to write down and you need to remember. How you do life is how you'll do faith. And if your faith isn't working, it goes back to how you do life. You say, what do you mean by that? Your definition, what you've accepted, and I'm sorry to say, pretty much you've been victimized by past generations, parents, relatives, neighbors, friends, loved ones. To accept the life that you live, the way you live it, the way you see it, the way you make choices on a regular basis, that's your reality. And if that reality isn't including God, being the God that He is, experiencing the experiences that we see in Scripture that we all can have, then that means how you do life is how you do faith. And if your faith isn't working, it goes back to how you do life. you got to change the way you see things. Now I'm going to share something else with you. The normal person in this world, especially in the day we live, where we're making life easier for people to spin in circles without going anywhere. People don't want to change. They just want to be left alone. All they want is life to be a little better. But there's nothing about that that's going to get you to God. If you asked people, think about it. Life is filled with the good, bad, and ugly. People will work their fingers to the bone to get rid of the ugly, but you don't mind a bunch of bad as long as every once in a while you get encouraged with something good. And there's nothing about that that has anything to do with 
God making man, Adam and Eve, putting them in a garden. And they had an amazing life when they were connected to Christ. But the moment they sinned, that's where everything went downhill really fast. Adam and Eve didn't even repent. They didn't even ask forgiveness, which says what? They accepted their punishment. What was their punishment? You chose to do it your way, Adam and Eve? Well, I hope you like it because it's kind of on you now. Wow. What? Yeah, think about it. How much did Adam and Eve have to do in the garden? Not much, right? I had some preacher argue with me. Well, they had to work in the garden. I said, what were they doing, pulling weeds? And all of a sudden, he got real quiet. Because there were no weeds to what? Pull. You know what they did in the garden? You know what their work was? Do you know what their job was? you know what God told them to do? Guard the garden. Guard your heart. I'm the one true and only God. Guard your heart. Keep me first. And you'll stay in the garden all your life. Same thing Solomon said. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. That's what they had to do. So a tough question for us, yet a very good question for us. Does my life resemble Adam and Eve before sin, or does it resemble Adam and Eve after sin? That's where all the drama started. Are you buying into all the drama of the life? Of life? Are you buying into all the fleshly desires? Does your life choices seem to put you in a place where you're choosing the world and the flesh versus experiencing God? These are great thoughts, folks. I know no one's jumping up right now, doing a Holy Ghost dance, running around the room saying, Hallelujah! I realize that. You're all staring at me like, Are you kidding me? This is what you came to preach to us? But I want to share something with you. If I was honest with you, my job here is not to get you to run around. My job is to take away every one of your options. And I, this sounds kind of terrible, but I'll say it anyhow. Pin your hides to the wall and get you to say one thing. You either choose Jesus or you don't choose Jesus. Well, you can't make it that definitive. Oh, yes, you can. That's how you find God, is when your choice is either for him or it's against him. In other words, where we become so absolute that we get rid of all the fluff, we get rid of all the options, and we step over and choose Christ. Look at what this scripture says for just a few more moments that we have here. It's 11.33. I have an amazing clock staring me right there. <laughs> it hasn't started blinking yet, so I think I'm still okay for a few minutes. Do you know the Baptists aren't even out of church yet? I know that. I was, grew up 20, 23 years Baptist. They always get out at 12 o'clock. So we're really doing well right now. You can still get to your favorite place to eat on time, all right? I don't even know if you got Baptists up here. You know, maybe, maybe Methodists up here. I don't know what, what other denominations are. John 10, 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at that. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. Well, Jesus did everything Jesus did as a man. He didn't do anything that he did as God. Remember, he came as the last of the Adams. Why wasn't Jesus the second Adam? 
Because then there would be a what? Third. Was the Adams family going the right direction? No, they were weird. They got off. Excuse me, you have to be a little bit older to figure that one out. God wanted to do away with the Adams family. There were cousins and it's and things, and it was just really bad. Maybe some of you are catching on now. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the truth, though. God had to do away with the race called Adam's. So he sent the last of the Adams. Jesus had to come on the same terms that the first Adam came, with the same anointing, under the same provision as the first Adam. Jesus came to correct everything that the first Adam messed up. So that when he died, he could take the whole race of Adam's with him into a devil's hell, defeat hell on the third day, come out of the grave, not with the new and improved Adam's, but with a brand new race called sons of God. So that anybody that would receive him to them, he would give power to become a son of God. What are we talking about? We're talking about God had a plan to reconnect man to God, just like Adam was connected as a spirit being to God, when he sinned, he became a flesh being connected to the world. The world doesn't even know that their spirits, most believers today sitting in well-meaning churches, don't know that their spirits, you got eight kids, you got to have a car. Six, well, there's eight of you, Okay. A minivan or something, right? Are you a car? Sometimes I feel like it. Sometimes you feel like it. Okay. That wasn't necessarily the response that I was looking for. Are you a car? No, no you're not a car. But you have a car. Do you drive the car? Does the car drive you? This is real simple. Keep it simple. You drive the car. Okay. Okay, good. You drive the car. Would it be really bad if the car drove you? Especially if you were on the top of a real big hill and there was an oak tree at the very bottom and it was slippery and you took your hands off the wheel and hands off and feet off the brake and, and pedal and just wee, wee, wee like the little piggy that goes all the way home. Would that be really bad? Be really bad. Okay. It took 20 seconds to reveal spirit and flesh. You're not a body. You're a spirit. But you have a body because you need one in order to contact materiality that's on this earth. What's the body for? The body was only and only made for a vehicle purpose, to be a container for the spirit and a vehicle through which the vehicle would transport you over to a certain part where you were going to meet God that day and walk with God and talk with God. What would you do? Would you fellowship with God out of your body? No, you'd fellowship with God out of your spirit. Your body was just a container. Now, let me ask you the same question. Are you driving your body or is your body driving you? 
Where is your time? Where is your energy? Where is your affection? Where are your emotions? Where are your thoughts? Are they about your body being connected to this world or are they about your spirit being connected to God? When Jesus came out of the grave, he came out of the grave as the resurrected and glorified Christ so that he would bring a whole family with him that would be sons of God, people reconnected to God, spirit to God's spirit, so that you could begin to know God out of your heart. Amen? And if we don't know that, what's the possibility that we're probably not experiencing spiritual experiences? Well, I just want my body healed. I don't want anything to do with this. Well, you know, that's just like saying, I just want a piece of candy, but I don't want to talk to you. Maybe you'd say of a person like that, maybe you're not even a Christian at all. Well, I've been saved all my life. Well, there's no real evidence. You shall know them by their what? Fruits. Amen? These are good thoughts, folks. These aren't just good thoughts because I'm saying them. They're good thoughts because they'll help you to make choices that will find God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Give me a couple more minutes. How many in this room give me at least one more minute? Anybody? One, two, three, four, five. That's at least five. How many in this room would give me at least two? Uh, I got about 20 minutes here. Praise the Lord. We're doing really good this morning. You're so gracious up here in Menomonee. Amen. It took me a long time to be able to say that word. Now I can say it. People ask me, where are you going this weekend? Wisconsin. <laughs> well, what town in Wisconsin? It's a, it's a town. It's up there. <laughs> I finally be able to say it. Menomonia. Okay. And then they say, what's that? Sorry. <laughs> Let me share something with you. Real serious now. In Menomonia, Wisconsin... You have a better chance of experiencing God than a great majority of the populace of the United States. You want to know why? I'm going to be sharing it here in just a second. It's because the town is small, which means people don't live in a city. You live on the outskirts of a small town, which makes it more of an individual lifestyle instead of packed in and surrounded by tons of people, which means you're probably living in places that there's a lot of nature all around you. There's a lot of forest. There's a lot of wildlife around you. All of that becomes opportunities to see the essence of God's grace Everywhere. Well, I just want to live in a big city. Not necessarily a good choice. Well, there's so many things to do. Man's ideas. Shared this earlier. I'll share it again. If you wanted to go see the stars on a beautiful clear night, but you were standing in Times Square, New York City. Could you see the stars? You shook your heads very definitively. Why couldn't you see them? Too many lights. 
Too many lights. Whose lights? Man's lights. If you went 30 miles west into upstate New York, out in the countryside, just like it is out here, and you looked up on a real clear night, could you see the stars? God's lights. Who made the country? God did. Who made the city? Man did. The closer you're attached to society and the way that man lives, the less chance you'll have of finding God. Hip, hip, hooray. Menomone. 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 See, see, I'm for you guys. I did that hoping maybe someone would show up at 2 o'clock. It won't just be Pastor and I. That'd be so sad. How'd you do? I did so good. They all went home. They never came back. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Come on, just another couple seconds. you got to see this. In the Amplified, it says, Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. In the King James, it says, We judge no man after the flesh. To judge means to come to an opinion or conclusion or a verdict. So it says, From now on, we come to no opinions, no verdicts, and no conclusions of man after the flesh. What does it mean? From a human standpoint of view. Why? Because the moment you get connected to Christ, you're no longer a flesh being connected to the world, just looking at things from the outside in. Now you're looking at things from the inside out. Which means all of your choices. Well, I'm not feeling good today. You don't have the ability to make an opinion about what you feel. Well, I think I'm coming down with the flu. There are no verdicts. According to the flesh any longer when you come to Christ. How do you see yourself? As a spirit connected to Christ. Is that spiritual being ever sick? Never. He cannot be sick. Why? My Lord took my infirmity and bore my sickness. I'm not a flesh being. I'm a what? Spirit being. I'm not a car. I'm driving the car. And I say that car's fine. See, that's how you make an opinion. Well, I don't like the way she looked at me. Stop! This isn't about these petty little dramas of life. The TV programs are nothing but drowning in the drama of people buying into nonsense where you literally get swallowed up in pettiness that cloaks you where you can't find God. Well, I don't like the way you said it. Oh, get over it. Grow up. <laughs> Dave, do you remember years and years ago, back when you were 11 and you were studying for that test, that final exam, and it was just really, it, there was a lot of anxiety. Do you remember that? Yeah. You actually do? <laughs> I, I must not be led by the Spirit today because I'm asking all the wrong people, and they're giving me all the wrong answers. I was trying to find, like, I don't even remember that, to make the point of saying that, think back to how full of anxiety you were. Does it really mean anything to you now? In the moment, you felt like it was so important, that's what you might remember. But now you look back on it and think, 11 years old, a test, or 17, a final exam, 
oh my gosh, why was I buying into the idea it was so important? Life is so much more than that. And yet in the moment, we literally engulf ourselves in how important something is. So I should just live life carefree, not even thinking about it, not even studying it. You do what you do, but you take the value away from it being so important that in those moments you can't find God for nothing because all you're doing is just literally buying into the problem, which is just so small in the big scale of your life. This kind of stuff goes on all the time. But once you become in Christ, we lose the right to do what? Ever make an opinion, come to a conclusion, have a verdict about your flesh. Okay, got to ask you a question. Got just a couple minutes. When did Adam and Eve, when did Adam and Eve know they had a body? After they sinned. Because then all of a sudden they said, holy smokes. Right? Because they lost the glory. They had glory on them. They weren't looking at each other physically. They were connected to God, looking at each other spiritually, enjoying God face to face, just as real as can be. Well, when they sinned, that glory went, and then they saw what? Now I'm connected from the flesh to the world, and wow, it's drafty in here. I better put something on. (laughs) The devil's always trying to take your clothes off. God's always trying to put your clothes back on. I'm serious. The mad men of was naked, scraping themselves in the tombs. Jesus came, cast those devils out. The first thing he did when he came to his right mind, put clothes on. Why? Man was meant for clothes. What kind of clothes? Paul talks about over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the beginning of this chapter that we're reading about right here. He talks about he's groaning within him that he might be further clothed with his habitation, which from above, that his mortality might be swallowed up in immortality. We were made to have God's glory all over us. Inside, flowing to the outside. I mean, Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration, when that power came out of him and he glowed like a light bulb, that's you. That was a picture of you. I don't feel like I'm glowing. (laughs) That's because you, you you got your connectors in the wrong place. Just as... Absolute as we can be. If you're not experiencing God in the measure that shows that the Word of God reveals to us that we should experience Him, it means you're experiencing something else. If you're not connected to Christ like you really ought to be, you're connected to something else. Man was made to be connected. So you are connected to something. If it's not healing your body, if it's not providing provision for you, if you're not full of joy and you got the victory and you're full of the peace of Christ, and you're experiencing God's voice here in his presence, feeling his, his presence with you, walking with him and talking with him and enjoying him, that means you're connected to something else that is what? Minimizing how aware or how real he is. Does that make him less real? Oh, no, 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 he's real. Just because you might not see how real he is doesn't mean he's not that real. See, these are some of the things that being around somebody that doesn't have religion challenged me with, my friend BJ. Because he went right past all the religious things and just went ahead and found God himself. What do you mean? In my first prayer meeting, he just went home. Saw God just as real as I'm seeing you. Saw Jesus, the Holy Ghost, just as real as I'm seeing you. 
Well, I didn't have a problem with that because we've always believed in visions and dreams and visitations of the Lord. But we would always see those things as something special. That was a supernatural encounter. Yeah, I'd like to have one of those someday. And then it becomes what? The elusive lottery ticket. You want to win, but you, you know the odds are against you. But you still want to. Well, the next morning, I called him up and said, how'd you do last night? Because he was all freaking out about what you're supposed to do. I said, well, watch a Western. He's a cowboy, you know, get you something, something to eat and go to bed. You'll be fine. <laughs> called him the next morning. How'd you do last night? He's a real smart aleck, you know. I mean, he's a thousand miles ahead of you. So he goes, oh, I did just great. Just like you said, had a couple grilled cheese sandwiches, watched a little gun smoke, went to bed. I thought that was his answer. He paused for a second and said, what do you think I did? I said, well, I don't know. What'd you do? He goes, well, I went back in. And then my question was, you could go back in? And his response was, with no religion, okay, yesterday I experienced my heavenly father. He told me all my children are supposed to experience me just like this, where I'm real. And I can't go back and experience him again? And then I thought, oh, my God. Yeah, why wouldn't you go back? He just kept going back and back and back and back every day, every day, every day, every day, every day until he just lives in this kind of awareness with God. Why couldn't your spirit be exercised to have that kind of awareness if our flesh can have this kind of awareness? And we're not even a flesh being. We're a spirit being. Do you see the ridiculousness of it? It's an alternate reality. This world, the flesh, is an alternate reality we've chosen because we didn't know any better, yet there's a whole other world of the Spirit over here that's saying this is your real home. If you'd learn to enjoy it, there'll be nothing wrong with your flesh. When Adam and Eve were connected to God in the garden, were they running around trying to get healed? Did they have any problem because they didn't have enough food and didn't have enough money to get food and they were really cold so that they were trying to get some extra shelter? Was there? No. Wasn't their life like amazing? Yes. When did it all change? When they made choices of the flesh to be attached to the world. And that, my friend, is how we've grown up all our lives, thinking that was it. And every once in a while, we'd hear that somebody down at that church got a healing. They didn't know how, so you couldn't reproduce it. Somebody down the road, they were believing God and prayed a prayer, and they got blessed. Some money came in, and they were able to pay off a bill. Woo, glory! And God's thinking, that's just so elementary. That's just normal stuff for being connected to me. You're making it become so special. What if God were available to all of us on an amazing level? Maybe I've provoked somebody's thought this morning to the degree that just having an openness to say, Lord, I want to know you more. A friend of mine, the singers and band, remember Leah? She wrote that song, Lord, I want to know you. In my heart there is a fire. Every morning when I wake up, it's you my heart desires. Just to feel your heartbeat is what I long for, oh Lord. 
I want to know you more. Maybe someone wants to know him just a little bit more. Why wouldn't grace, God's presence, his influence, his spirit be there right now to meet you?